Welcome back to another episode of the Reformation Red Pill Podcast. I am one of the hosts, Joshua Hames, and again we have with us Pastor Brooks Potter. Glad to be here. And uh, so, unfortunately, I've got a little mixed up on the episode numbers, so the, the epi- episode numbers that you see here will be kind of meaningless, and that's all right, because we decided that every other week we're going to be doing a Ask Pastor Brooks episode. <laughs> Um, so we get to ask one of the professionals yeah. here, a uh, an official CREC ordained pastor, mm. and uh, that's actually something very special. I don't know for those of you who aren't aware, to become a CREC pastor, you have to go through quite an exam, mm. and uh, that was actually one of. We're just gonna keep going back to that. That's one of the big things that made me see. Oh, maybe I should shut down my church plant since I can't pass this pastoral exam. Yeah. I mean, it was really intensive. Well, I mean, it, 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 that's relative speaking. I mean, back in the day, it'd be two, two to three days long, and you'd have to do. I mean, so e- even that insight is is telling because I, I think the bar, the expectation of of, of clergy of pastors has been massively lowered. Um, oh my but. gosh, massively la- lowered! I just basically got like a pat on the butt. And uh, an elder process that was a joke. It said, "All right, go get them. Mm-hmm. Go plant this church. You can yeah. do it." And I was actively working out my doctrine of God my first year yeah. of planting a church. And so, actually, when I saw a CREC exam, that's that really was this moment for me that was like, if I had passed that, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be dealing with imposter syndrome. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? And so, anyway, all that to say, uh, Pastor Brooks is well studied, very well learned. And he knows his stuff, and it's so wonderful for me to, uh, after having stepped down from the church planting world, and to, well, we're still planting Pilgrim Hill in a sense, Um, but to step down from being the guy to come and study under, I've been blessed so much from studying under Pastor Brooks, and we've Mm. been at it now for about six months or so, so. um, hopefully 60 years to go. And uh, yeah, so we're going to do an Ask Pastor Brooks episode every other week, so for those of you who are following along on this Reformation Red Pill journey. For those of you who have begun your journey down the rabbit hole and you're wondering, what, okay, what, is, what are the implications for baptism? What, why does everyone keep talking about eschatology? What is Kyperian sphere sovereignty? We're going to get into all that stuff in future episodes. And like I said, every other week, we're actually going to take your questions, mostly from Twitter, at least for now from Twitter, but perhaps from YouTube and other platforms in the future. Uh, and we're going to be taking your questions and answering them to the best of our abilities mm-hmm. um, here on the Ask Pastor Brooks episodes every other week. So we have two questions from two Twitter folks that we're going to get into yeah. today. Um, and actually, you you chose the first one. Yeah. yeah so the the first one, I, I yeah, I, I really appreciated it. He said, so. Wait, let me give some context. Yeah, I was going to say, give some context for where it came from. Because we did, we just did our episode on the Moscow mood, and so if you don't know what the Moscow mood is, uh, go read Kevin DeYoung's article, and or you can watch our episode, our last episode of uh, the podcast. But um, based on some clips from the from that particular podcast, uh, let's see how it, let's see it's in the context of the Moscow mood. How would you put it? You were just uh, talking about your experience at the Presbytery exam. That's right. And, and how, okay. yeah, hearing... Go ahead. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I, we, we got into this on another episode, but basically I brought up the fact that whenever I went and visited the Presbytery meeting 
for the CREC. It was when we were deciding to close down the church plant. I experienced this incredible culture uh, that is prevalent in the CREC mm-hmm. and what the CREC is kind of known for. And it had to do with men singing with incredible energy, these robust hymns, and this hearty amen that mm-hmm. I heard at yeah. the end of the first song that I ever heard them sing, and this amen that just shook the church. Um, and I experienced that, and it really, I mean, I, I tell people that was kind of the nail in the coffin for my church plant because I realized that is the kind of culture that I want my family to be a part of. That is the kind of culture that I want, church culture that I want for the people that I'm currently pastoring, but I've not been trained to plant that kind of church. And so uh, I experienced this beautiful, robust Christian culture, and that was a huge contributing factor in deciding to close down our church and then to move across the country and be a part of that kind of community. And so in light of that, we had this person. Uh, you can get into the question yeah. that we got. Yeah, so, and I don't have this handle again, but... It's uh, from a brother in, I think, somewhere on the continent yeah, of Africa. Perhaps Kenya? Or I'm, Maybe I'm Kenya. Exactly sure, but. Uh, Lilo Kinunu. Yeah. Kinune. Kinune. You can tell us how to pronounce that, <laughs> yeah. brother. Um, but from Lilo Kinunu... Yeah, he said, so, uh, brother, what would your response be if someone told you this exact same story, but the church was, was Hillsong and not CREC. And um, I really appreciated that um, Mm. question because I I am very skeptical (laughs) about um, making big decisions off of big emotions um, now. And so that is a very fair question. So what would I say to somebody who said, everything you just wrote about your Mm -hmm. experience, hey, I had the same experience. I just happened to be at a Hillsong conference or a Hillsong church. And um, my response first would be, um, no, you didn't. You you didn't. Uh, you, you didn't have that, the you same you, experience, right? Yeah. You you just you just did not. You couldn't have because you didn't encounter this the same thing. But I think it re- to answer the question and, and to even kind of take Hillsong and CREC out of it um, for now. I'd want to do a, just a crash course in in philosophy and and um, talk about the objectivity of truth and goodness and beauty. Which I feel like the truth and goodness part, evangelicals are really good at. Yeah. Like we're like, yeah, there is an objective truth. Yeah. We believe that. Yeah. Oh, and and goodness, yes, there is good and evil, and God sets the standard for yeah. good and evil. But then we have just flubbed mm-hmm. on beauty. Right. We we bought into that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so right. So if it, so, we we so we breathe so much Rousseau air that we don't even realize it. Where it's, mm. it's self-expression, it's subjectivity, um, and so. I rate the value on an experience primarily based on my subjective response right. to it, um, and that's really not not how things are are judged could could be judged. It is um, that experience, irregardless of my response to it, is a worthy thing or or not as worthy mm-hmm. of a thing. Um, and an example I, I we were talking earlier is let's say I'm, I'm enjoying a, a delicious medium rare steak that is just cooked to perfection. And I say, this is absolutely delicious. Mm. And then my uh, daughter, who's five, is eating Cheetos. And she says, I totally get it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm having that experience right now <laughs> as, as well. And it's, well, no, you're not. Right. But it, with the categories you have, mm. that you you think you are because mm. you, you haven't developed your palate to a place that, that you can um, experience something something different. And so... Um, there, there is an objectivity to to the virtue of things, and I would say um, something that, as Christians, as thoughtful Christians um, who use music in in worship, 
um, we need to be aware of how easily our affections, our emotions, our experience can be manipulated right. by by music and by the quote unquote experience where you mm. really think you are having a profound spiritual experience, but you're actually having the same experience you could have had at a Coldplay concert. Right. Um, because they're, it's using the same techniques and mm. tactics and lighting and, and these types of things. And so I think people often think they had a profound experience with the Holy Spirit when the delay pedal on the guitar was just pretty epic. Right. And the right. lighting through the fog was just, it looked like Shekinah glory all around them. Um, and and so I, I just want to put that before us, that we are often judging things based off of not realizing how our emotions are perhaps being manipulated and not based on the objectivity of the actual thing itself. itself. Where would you go to in Scripture okay. to illustrate the fact that beauty is not in the eye of the beholder, and it is to an extent, right? There is a real, there is. I think there is a reality to which, um, well, no, we would say we would say no. There's an experiential. That's a subjective yeah, reality. I, I, it's not. I a, would say no. <laughs> yeah, 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 I would yeah. Say, um, no, it's it's um, there there is an, a a beauty that something is is a certain level of beauty, whether or not I was ever born. Yes. Now the my ability to to discern its level is speaks to my maturity, the way that my affections have been rightly formed and mm -hmm. rightly sanctified. Um, I One quote that I, I, I love, which Samwise Gamgee totally understood this. Right. Um, the, the great philosopher, I think every episode I have to have at least one Lord of the Rings reference. But um, a, a good example of somebody who humbly understood this reality. So they're on their journey, him and Frodo. They encounter the elves on, on the way. Frodo falls asleep. Um, Sam gets to interact with the elves, and the mm. next morning Frodo wakes up, and uh, he asks Sam what he thought of the elves, and Sam responds with, um, "The elves seem to be above my likes and dislikes, so to speak. It doesn't seem to matter what I think about them." Mm. And that is somebody who who got it. He was not a in a position to actually judge the the merits of of the elves. Mm. Um, um, he was not mature enough, not able yet to describe or prescribe judgment on them they they were something whether he could articulate that or or, or not but to answer your question i think a couple places I, I would go um first is even when the lord was creating the world he, he observed the creation and then he pronounced a verdict mm -hmm. upon it he right. said this is good yep meaning if it wasn't that if it was less than that it, it would not have been as good, mm. but as it was, it was good. And then, as he's reaching the apex, it, this is very good. Mm. Um, but even there, that there was one thing that was not objectively good, right? And that was for the man to remain alone. Yeah. And so he brought the woman along, man and woman, complementary sexes together was a very good thing. Mm -hmm. um, whether we say it is or not, God doesn't care what our verdict is on. Mm. It. He has pronounced the verdict. And so I, I would say that that is the foundational place we begin with understanding the objectivity of, so, of beauty. So that makes sense. Well, the, the where I would say is, okay, that, that makes sense to me. I can say that, uh, okay, well, that's God said it was good, but how? But he didn't say it was beautiful. How do I know that it's beautiful? How do I know that God, that there really isn't, that it's not up to, yeah, that the beauty really isn't in the eye of the beholder. We can say that's a good thing. God made it good, and... You know, is that is he talking about a moral component? But if it's like, uh, does 
does God think that this is beautiful? And I think I, I think it was Indy Wilson that I heard say, um, "We know something is beautiful if God thinks it's beautiful." Mm-hmm. Yeah, like God, when God says it's good, it's good. Right. When God does, God think it's beautiful. And I remember kind of scratching my head over that and being like, "That was the kind of an aha moment for me a few mm-hmm. years ago when I was like, oh yeah." There is an objectivity to beauty. And the passage that stood out to me was uh, Genesis 24, where he's talking about um, uh, Rachel, uh, Isaac, and Rebecca. Rebecca yeah. And th- that she was beautiful. Yeah. Right? That God, God says yeah. that she was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we also know that there is a sister with soft eyes. Right, right. We who's guys, not, yeah. Who isn't um, physically attractive. As objectively beautiful. Yeah. Right. And and so we see even even in judging beauty standards, mm-hmm. it's not the eye of the beholder. Right, but I, I think something that's really interesting in our culture right now is because we we understand that there is an objectivity to physical beauty, but we also don't understand that there's an objective beauty to aging gracefully. Yes, and so we're constantly trying to Benjamin Button c- oh, get, get younger and younger, and then you end up just looking Ugh. scary. Yeah, yeah, truly, where it is almost a, a repulsive thing where you're trying to get back to the objective beauty of a 25-year-old, but you're now 65 or 70, and that's not your glory that's any right. longer. That, and and I, I, this is a soapbox for me. <laughs> if you are a, whether you're a man or a woman, and you're growing older, you hit 30, maybe you hit 40, 50, wherever you're at in your stage of life, and then, you say, and then you, you're embarrassed or ashamed of your age, this is not biblical. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Okay? Um, if you have gray hair on your head, this is your glory. This is your glory. That's what Proverbs says. And It used to be your strength. That's right. That's it, a young man's glory. That used glory, to be though. your glory. Right. But now your, your wisdom that you have gained yeah. from your years and your time walking with the Lord, growing closer and closer, growing more and more into the image of Christ, mm-hmm. this is your glory. And it's so wonderful. And for you to be embarrassed about that or to be grasping at youth, mm-hmm means you are not walking forward in the direction that God's placed you. Mm. And I, that's a soapbox, because there's godly people I know that, oh, to be young. Now, it's, yes, we can mourn our bodies decaying, yeah. right? Getting yeah. uncomfortable, having aches and pains. Sure. And that's, that's death. Mm-hmm. That's, this, that's the curse. Yeah. You know, and there's a reality that we can, we can mourn that to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but even as Paul acknowledged that, even though our outer man is wasting away, yeah. our inner man is mm. being renewed day by day and so and that's the, the greater glory that's the greater exactly, joy because yeah. he, he didn't idolize youth and exactly. it wasn't he had an eternal perspective where that's it right. wasn't primarily a grief at the decay or the grief at the thinning mm-hmm. of the hair because hey we're people of the resurrection oh, <laughs> and i'm even becoming um more glorious with with my with my wisdom and with my sanctification and so yeah the some more of the surface stuff which, which is a beautiful thing objectively right is starting to waste away, there's a greater glory, a greater weightiness that is mm. happening in me that I is, is better. And when you encounter an old man or an old woman who knows that yeah. and who oh, yeah. walks in that, and it is one of the most beautiful, right. glorious things right. to see a saint in their old age right. who is just loves the Lord so deeply, mm-hmm. who is constantly in prayer, constant and totally secure, not reaching back mm-hmm. for beauty for the glory that has passed right they're, re- they're they're walking forward in faith for the glory and do you know ahead. what's really a beautiful thing 
a wife that has been loved well for 50 years. Oh, man. Come I on. mean, if, if, if you want to feel tasked with one of the highest and holiest callings as a husband, which mm. you are, Ephesians 5, you are the pri- as a husband, you are God's primary instrument that he uses to bring sanctification by the Spirit mm. to your wife. Mm. So Christ is going to present his bride without any wrinkle or spot or blemish or any such things. In the same way, husbands aim to do that to your wives. Love mm. her in such a way that she becomes objectively more beautiful by grace because of the way that her husband has has loved her. Um, so two more thoughts um, about worship itself and the objectivity of a, of a standard God, God has. Yep. Um, one, uh, so 1 Kings 10, this is when the Queen of Sheba comes to essentially survey Solomon's culture mm. and his way of life. And so it says, when the Queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings, his mm. ascension offerings. So this is worship language mm. that he offered at the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. Mm. She, she, she was so struck by the glory mm. of, at that point, um, legitimate, good, um, biblical worship mm. of the king of Israel. Mm. Um, and so I just love that love that image of her stepping into the sanctuary and thinking, who, who is this God who is worshipped like this? Um, also thinking, too, of um, Nadab and Abihu, mm. who um, offered strange fire at the altar, the, the, the place of sacrifice, the place of, of worship. And they thought, why, why not do it this way? And it was not according to God's explicit standards and expectations, mm. and they were immediately struck dead. Um, and so that tells us that God cares about how we worship if we do it according to biblical um, principles and, and paradigms. And, and that didn't go away. That's not... So Hebrews 12, mm. it's talking about the, the, the glory of God and the reality that we participate with innumerable angels and festal gathering with the saints who have gone before Mm. And it says, therefore, in, in light of the character of God, he is a consuming fire. Let us offer um, worship that, it, that, is, that is reverent. So you're getting into something that has been a significant change in my personal Reformation red pill journey. And that is you're basically introducing the concept of the regulative principle of worship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can you just lay out for us the difference between the regulative principle and the normative principle for us? Because you're kind of talking about it, just yeah. to give language to some of the people who are just coming to this. Topic. Sure, sure. Well, the, re- the regulative pr- uh, principle of worship is is the idea that our worship should be in accordance to the Word of God. Mm. Um, we should do what, what the Word of God says. Now, even on, on that principle, you're going to get a, a spectrum of how people understand that. Right, right. So, for instance, there are, are some who don't use instruments at all because that's not prescribed in the New Testament. Um, and, and someone will say, well, what about David you know, using instruments and praising God with the instruments? What would, what would the, those people say to that? Yeah, and they, they, I believe um, so some of them would say, I remember talking to a buddy in our church who is, has a, a Church of Christ background, and they would say, that's, that's Old Covenant, that's, mm. that's, that's not... Um, with the coming of Christ and with the institution of the New Covenant, um, we don't adhere to those standards. Interesting. Anymore. Okay, and because I've I've heard I haven't heard well, I, ha- I guess I have heard that, but I've also I've also heard pr- people say that uh, um, that 
that wasn't in the context of a worship service. Mm-hmm. Like the examples of David, yes, can I go play guitar and sing for the glory of God? Yes, but that's not in the context of God's people gathered for for worship. Yeah. And so that that's the other argument that I've heard heard for that. So we've got the regulative principle and the normative principle. The regulative principle is us going to scripture to discern what does the Bible say about mm-hmm. what a worship service is supposed to look like on the Lord's day? Yeah. Um, so that's the regulative principle, and there's varying degrees. Uh, uh, there's a spectrum for right. how people understand that. Right. Then there's the normative principle, which basically says that if the Scripture doesn't forbid it yeah. in worship, then we can. Then do it's it. allowed. It's then it's allowed. Then it's allowed. And so you know that's when you've got people dancing around, kind of waving. You know. I literally heard, heard a guy talking about how he has a guy stand on his head during mm-hmm. their worship service yeah. as his act of worship, um, you know, snake handling and all kind of crazy stuff. Right. Um, and there's obviously degree, varying degrees for, for both of those. But whenever I took my Reformation red pill, I mean, at the center of it was I believe that we've walked away from the sufficiency of Scripture mm-hmm. for all of faith and life. So now I am... I became crazy about how do we apply what does God's word really say, yeah. and how do we apply it? Yeah. And so, uh, and so, as it relates to worship, specifically, what made me think of this was you bringing up the Nadab and Abihu. Oh yeah, bit. And I was reading a book. Mm-hmm. Somewhere, um, but for my, I, I took a class on worship at Westminster Theological Seminary, and the question at the beginning of this book that I was reading was, "Is there worship?" that you can bring from a genuine place that God rejects. Mm-hmm. Is there worship that God rejects? Yeah. And then he's proceeded to give all these examples all throughout Scripture. Yeah. There are loads of examples. Yeah, and, and so I, I think an important distinction um, needs to be made here. So I think of Romans 10, too, mm. where, where Paul, and here he's talking about Judaizers, but he, he says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Mm. And so just having that as a category, that God says, you can be zealous for me, but it's not according to to knowledge. Mm. And so I I think I would want to distinguish between, um, quote-unquote, worship that that is just not pleasing to God at all because it is so man-centered and not according to the Word of God, not Christ-honoring, not God-centered, but really me coming to get a dopamine hit and me-centered, and it's really more about me. Um, I, I think I'd want to make a distinction between that and the call to to mature in our understanding. So, um, um, so immature worship that the expectation is, cont- which is all of us to mm. continue to mature up more into it. And Paul, Paul talked about this is um, with the Corinthians, how he distinguished between doctrinal milk and doctrinal meat. Yes, and how he he wanted to be able to feed them the the meatier stuff the Word mm. of God, but he was not able. He even said, even now, mm. I can't I can't do that because mm. you, you are still infants Interesting. in Christ. And so ha- having the humility to not just be satisfied with whatever initially feels good, but discerningly thinking through what, based on my understanding of the Word of God, ba- based on the, the church fathers, having the humility to look back into church history, ha- what was their liturgy like, What what was wh- how did they do it, why did they do it that way? Mm. And then trying to conform to your best understanding of what is most pleasing to God rather than having a checkbox and asking, what did I think mm. of, of that? Um, that's, that's, that's really good. Asking that question 
uh, what is most pleasing to God? Because I'm, I'm trying to put myself in someone's shoes who, we, we actually have this at Pilgrim Hill where someone may come visit. I've, I've actually talked to some people who have come to visit, yeah. and they're like, I like what you're doing, but these songs are really hard, mm-hmm. you know? And w- if I go to the, the Bethel service, then what I get is an experience where I really feel like I'm connecting with God. Yeah. And I feel like just, I feel, you know, maybe they don't say, but, you know, I get the goosebumps mm-hmm. and I feel this kind of spiritual presence. But then whenever I come here to Pilgrim Hill, you know, I, 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 I'm, we're holding the hymnal, we're singing songs that are kind of hard for me, and I don't get that same feeling. Um, what would you say to that person? They're saying, it just seems like I don't get as much out of that. Yeah. And so, well, I guess you kind of just said it. But what would, well, if I was that person? I think something else I would want to say is is trust the process. One of the quotes we say at Pilgrim Hill is, hard wood grows slow. Mm. And so the sturdy stuff, it, it's not like a bottle rocket that yeah. just, uh, this dopamine overflow rush that for a second you just feel this high and then you come down from it. But, but rather, maturity happens by millimeters. Mm. And so trust the process. Um, and I can guarantee you, after you sang Isaac Watts and these other saints from church history who labored over um, articulating poetically the truth of Scripture and the glory of God, soaking yourself in the Psalms, and then out of the overflow of that with the genius God had given you, trying to articulate it as beautifully as possible, that will have a formative effect on your understanding of who God is. And, and, and the more that we worship God in spirit and in truth, so you become like what you worship. Mm. And so the more you understand who God is, because it's you've been singing it, you've it's been um, his character has been articulated in ways that that you had never even conceived of. Right. The the gospel has been um, articulated in ways that you never thought before. It's not just kind of this mantra of Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough. Right. So now I'm enough, and now I'm enough. Mm-hmm. Um, Words matter. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. And so th- this is a formative effect, like water in a creek over a stone. So I, I would tell them to um, trust the process. Yeah, and, and even even you just saying that, like, in our worship, words matter. I, you remember the whole controversy over reckless love. Yeah. And people, I, I encountered a lot of people who were like, what's the big deal? I love how that makes me feel that God's love would be reckless like that. And it's like, well... Words actually matter, and they have meaning. Mm-hmm. And are we going to go to Scripture to define what God's love even is? Because, right. I mean, God's love is at the center of the gospel. <laughs> right. Who are we going to... Are we going to let uh, some, you know, new artist describe God's love in a way that does not comport with mm-hmm. the revealed wor- Word of God? This is a big deal. These yeah. are big deals. And, uh, and, and to your point about these songs that we're singing, whether they're psalms, which I appreciate so much that we learn and sing psalms, because we know that those have been sung since the beginning of God's yeah. people, is that uh, is that's what we've been singing for centuries and millennia. Mm-hmm. Um, so tapping into that, that's that's beautiful. And, and God wrote them. And it, not now, only did course, God we, write them, and he told us... We do metered versions, so yeah. it's not the exact same. Right. But yeah, God wrote them, and we are commanded to sing psalms yeah. and hymns and spiritual songs, Psalms, right? yeah. Um, so, uh, so I really appreciate that we, uh, that we sing, that we actually do, we sing Psalms, but getting back to, uh, the objectivity of beauty kind of question a little bit, these, these songs that we sing, the Psalms included, they have stood the test of time, right? Right. Uh, so 
it's funny, it reminded me of the conversation we had the other day about this book, which uh, future podcasts will be about, mm. but it's called The Seven Champions of Christendom. And it was super influential. It was one of the most influential books ever written. It was one of the bestsellers back a few hundred years ago. But it influenced Shakespeare and Chaucer. Uh, and it's all about these seven saints of uh, Christendom throughout history. And I was telling uh, you about it. And you, and then you asked, first you asked, was it good? And then when I explained what it was, you were like, oh, of course it was good. Mm. It's just a matter of what made it good. Right. You know, if it stood the test of time and influenced that many people, like we, we know, okay, there is truth in this, mm -hmm. you know, and to whatever degree it comports with the word of God, we know that that's the degree to which it is true and good and beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, all right. So uh, we've kind of touched on, we touched on a lot. We've, yeah. I'm that was to good. Think, was there anything there we wanted to, wanted to hit on? Well, I think actually bringing it back to to your experience with the men at the presbytery. Okay. Um, so I would say what what you were experiencing was an objectively better experience mm -hmm. or a different context that that hit on an important thing objectively in you, namely <clears throat> a category that we need to recover that church history used to have but we have now lost is is the church militant and the church triumphant. Church triumphant are the saints that have already made it to glory. They've they've arrived. They're cheering us on. The great cloud of witnesses. But we we here left are the church militant. Those who are still um, in the fight. Yeah. In the battle. And you were experiencing men who had spear rattling militant hymns that that were fitting for the context that pastors are in. Yes. Who are doing war against the dark arts. Um, we talked about how. King Alfred um, would have his men sing a hymn before he went out mm. to fight the Vikings. Well, it it, it mattered mm. what what the song was. He he didn't just choose the Yesu defend us um, because CCM hadn't existed yet, or he would have chosen that. It's no that that's a battering ram that that actually galvanizes and energizes um, the pastorate and the saints to go and do the work they've been about. Yeah in a way that the other ones that are more self-focused, emotionally driven, doesn't do. They they are different things. Once this hits you, once you get this, there's no going back. Yeah. I'm I'm telling you, so we moved across the country to be a part of this kind of culture, this kind of church, because because not just because it made me feel energized and exciting. That's and that's another point, is that whenever the question being, what if someone had this exact same experience at a Hillsong, Hillsong church, and you're saying, well, they wouldn't. And they wouldn't because the reason I had that experience, it was the climax of, at this point, years of study right. and coming to uh, desperately desire a church that is that has a culture that is rooted and grounded in the Word of God very, very intentionally. Mm -hmm. from, you know, everything from, you know, the just the cultural, you know, uh, the cultural elements of the church down to the worship Itself. Yeah, yeah, the the liturgy, it's it's the liturgy all itself. guided by scripture. Yeah. Right. And so uh and so the reason that I had this aha moment was because all the puzzle pieces started to come together and I realized, oh, this is a much more thoroughly biblical expression mm -hmm. of a godly Christian culture. Right. That that, I had been that doesn't to. ask you to check your masculinity at the door, but actually exactly. cuts with the grain of that. I mean that's when when you start singing the psalms, sometimes you even feel 
uncomfortable. Yeah. Because of 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 how of some of the battle language and some of the even violent imagery. But mm-hmm. God said, when I when my people sing, sometimes this is the things I want them to mm. to sing. And oh, that's so, good. Um, for me, yeah, even going back to the, because um, I, I think De Young, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think he said it's primarily a visceral appeal. Is is was that one of the arguments? I think that he's. I know he said it was visceral, but I I can't. I think he did say. It was I, yeah, I, th- I think that was one of the the main points, and I get what he's saying. Mm. But um, I'm with you as to that. That came later for me. Mm. Um, it, it was first the the theology and the covenantal thinking yeah. that, that was helpful, edifying, attractive, right. and then the first time I actually experienced the visceral, like, oh my goodness, this is just a different thing altogether. Mm-hmm. Was um, I went to this um, this conference in um, Huntsville that my buddy Larson Hicks, uh, an elder in the series, he put on that had Bodie Bauckham and. Um, it was just wonderful, but he you go in there and there was like 250 men and Larson was leading us in song. He was teaching us these Psalms and hymns and most of the men, I was, I was playing catch up, but mm. most of the men knew what they were about. Yeah. And I had never in my life heard a, a holy battalion of men singing to the King, so, like Psalm two or Oh God of earth and altar. Mm. And it it really was a Frodo in Rivendell moment for me, yep. <laughs> where it's oh, yeah. like, what is this? And so that that was the visceral piece, yep. but that came years later, right. and it you realize, oh, this this fruit is connected to the root, yeah, exactly. Um, but like your experience, it was, well, I don't know how to do this. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. and that's where by God's grace we have a a music teacher at our church who has mm. helped teach us how to read music. So good. Um, and that's, I think, something else I'd want to say as well, because I, I remember it feeling so daunting. Mm. I remember seeing a, um, a clip of a group of men um, singing Psalm 98 um, to celebrate a new building that they were entering into. They were singing in parts. There was a trumpet player who was like fist pumping his trumpet whenever he wasn't playing it. <laughs> and it was so beautiful. And I remember thinking, but I have no idea how to do that. Right. Um, I, and so it, initially daunting, the encouragement is, it was amazing. One hour of serious music practice with a competent pianist who can mm. teach you different parts, how, how much you can learn pretty quickly yeah. and get a little, um, your quiver full of some, some good psalms and hymns and parts um, and start to see some fruit pretty, pretty quickly. And we've, I've experienced that myself. After moving across the country, and specifically the singing, there, I know people who have come and visited and couldn't, it just was too much. Yeah. Right? It was too daunting. But the reason it was daunting was because they didn't appreciate the beauty on the other side, mm-hmm. like the beauty that we're aiming at. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you do get that vision and you begin to put your hand to the plow and work at this, Madison and I, my wife and I have been here just for six months doing this. And when we go to another a church that isn't doing it like this. It's not like, oh, this is terrible, but it's like, this is... You miss it. Yeah, this you miss isn't it, yeah. as robust as I'm used to. And, and you know, even singing song like, I loved when I first heard uh, um, I Know That My Redeemer Lives. Mm. It was at the Presbytery meeting. Yeah. And, you know, shout on, pray on, we're gaining ground. Uh, glory, hallelujah. I, just the, and the, the energy around it, it was just... 
It's electric. It really is electric. And something that you said stood out to me so much when it comes to what is what is worship supposed to look like? What is it supposed to be about? And I was wondering, one of my questions was, why not have a band? Mm. You know, uh, I'm so used to having a band. Why not have a band? And uh, and what you told me back in the day that really stood out to me, uh, basically, you made a lot of good, good arguments that won me over, but the one that really stood out to me was uh, that the the main instrument in worship ought to be the voices of the saints. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would say, too, when, whenever I go to, to, to different contexts, um, and I, I don't want to at all say, hey, we're, we're doing it right, everybody needs to, yes, to, to do it sure. like we're doing. Um, but wh- when I go to places where they have a, a different approach, what sometimes I'm like, oh, it's not because I don't, it's not the songs I like, but it's because the music is so loud that I can't hear the voice of the saints. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it, what what I what what I long for is mm-hmm. the beauty of the voice of the saints. God's and, and we, we put these together. speakers in and all of this stuff to to tamp down the voice of the saints. And what really frustrates me about that is we let the men off the hook, yeah, and men are so true. sheepish and kind of whatever. Yeah. And it's like, well, why would I sing? We have the professional doing it for me. That's exactly right. And um, that's not the way it's meant to be. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I remember having a moment in college when the the beginnings of these uh, I don't know these new views started to to bud in me, and I was at this mega church worship service just for like a worship night, and the the guy who was leading worship was so good, and the band was so good that I was just not in awe, but I was, all I could think about was, whoa, that dude can sing. Yeah, what a oh performance. My, what? Yes. And I, and I couldn't, I, I really was trying to worship mm-hmm. God, but really I was just constantly tempted into just thinking about how awesome mm-hmm. the production value but is. It, and, and that's the thing, is that's designed to draw attention right. to itself. That's you, right. You put the reverb on the voice. I know some people even auto-tune the voice for worship. It's all um, designed to 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 not accomplish what the worship of the saints is meant to accomplish, yeah. which is the body of Christ together worshiping the Lord uh, together. So, Amen. Okay, so that's our case for uh, oh the beauty the the object the objectivity of beauty, um, the regulative principle to an extent, <laughs> and we, we we hit a lot of things. Um, let's see where are we at right now. Let's briefly hit on this, and we don't have to go into a ton sure. of detail. But I like this guy, Rabid Jackalope. <laughs> he's been uh, he's been following me on Twitter for a while, and he's interacted with me for for since I started Twitter. I appreciate him. But he uh, he I don't know if he watched the full episode or just the clip that mm-hmm. we posted from the uh, our last episode about the Moscow mood, and we talked about language and the use of coarse language, and that was you know one of Kevin DeYoung's critiques of yeah. Doug was his use of what we would say bad language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read the Ezekiel passage that has very sexually charged, crude language. Yeah, yeah. Shocking, men- intentionally shocking. Shocking, exactly. Yeah. And Rabbi Jackalope asks, okay, so where does Ephesians 5, 4 come into play when we're thinking through the use of coarse language as Christians? Um, and Ephesians 5, 4 says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So mm-hmm. let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Now, uh, 
it seems like the closest thing, at least to what the past, uh, the uh, the clip that I posted, the closest thing that would relate to that in this Ephesians passage would be filthiness. Probably, mm-hmm. yeah. Let no filthiness. Um, let don't take part in that. So, what would you say to that? Yeah, um, yeah. So, I think my first response would be he's talking about interactions within the body of Christ, the normative interactions with mm-hmm. believers. In that context, um, and so I would say, even you know, that's what she said, jokes and stuff like that. The, mm. These are ways that we can just get in a habit of worldly speaking yep. that downplays the the beauty of sex, and yeah. and it is crude joking mm-hmm. that that is not appropriate for mature believers. Yeah, um, and so I see it in that context. But I, I would also want to back up and go to um, Ephesians four. Where he says, "Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, mm. but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, Oof. that it may give grace to those who hear." Mm. And so the the aim of our charge in speech is always to give grace to those who are here, who who, who hear, no matter what occasion we're in. Mm-hmm. And so there there are different occasions, um, and one of those in 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 our context is you know like like a, a blog. <laughs> and yeah. so um, those words that were like, no, no, cuss words, well, yeah, they're not fitting for many, for almost any occasions. Mm. Um, every once in a while, when mm. you're going after a specific orc and you want a specific weapon in a specific occasion, yeah, that, that could be fitting. And the goal still has to be to give grace to the hearer. Mm. And the grace would be to to shame them into repentance mm. by putting before them in graphic detail um, foolishness or sin that, that needs to be repented of. Mm. Um, and so, I, so, but but that's not normative. <laughs> right. And so um, those words that he listed, that DeYoung listed, I would almost always not want Christians to use. Right, right. Uh, unless there was a specific fitting occasion that would actually give grace to that hero. Yes. Um, that's not normal. Yeah, that's and that's not normal. That's the point. And something that that I was kind of the, the case I was making on Twitter with a lo- with some people who were giving me pushback was what I what one of the pieces of pushback that I got was, well, you're not God or you're not his prophet. So you can't you shouldn't be talking like that because you don't have a pure heart. You don't. You're not God. God can say whatever He wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what what would your response be to that? Someone says, "Okay, yeah, you know, we see Ezekiel use this yeah coarse language, and but not just Ezekiel. Like it's all throughout Scripture oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. and uh, it's not the majority of the way speech is conducted, right? But it is. There is a category for it. Yeah. So I I would say so the prophets didn't sin. Right. Um, and God didn't sin, which means there's a category for it, but you better be very careful. Yes. <laughs> um, if you're going to pull that tool off the workbench, that is super... I'm not going to let my five-year-old use a table saw. Mm-hmm. Um, she can use a, a Phillips um, head screwdriver, right? Um, but she's not able to use a table saw. Or, um, But even that is, is probably more dangerous than even a table saw. I can't think of a, <laughs> a tool off the um, top of my head. Um, but there is clearly a righteous way yeah. to do it, mm-hmm. um, and the 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 role of of pastor has a prophetic edge to it, a prophetic component to it that is meant to conform to the word of God. We right. we take our cues from the word of God there. Um, but yeah, I even that that list that was compiled over a decade, I wouldn't feel comfortable um, with my age, my maturity. Um, 
where I'm at in my ministry, mm -hmm. likely pulling those off the shelf yeah. um, because I, I'm, yeah, I, I don't think I've earned that mm. <laughs> right yet to be mm. able to speak in that way, um, nor would I encourage guys to. But if your primary response is, okay, good, I get to cuss more, right. then you there's a problem. Yeah. yeah, there's a problem. And that, but that's, that's what I want to get across is that there is the, the problem is that we are so we're so winsome and so obsessed with being I say we're so obsessed. There's a problem in the church with desiring the approval of mm -hmm. others. And you know, like Vodi Bakum says, the eleventh commandment, thou shalt be nice. We don't care about the other the other uh the other ten. Right. But we we get caught up in wanting to appear nice, to look nice, to sound nice, and to not offend mm -hmm. or anything like that. And so we say we, we basically gloss over all of the coarse language, the sharp language, the harsh language that Scripture uses. And, you know, there's a danger, and there's kind of a rising tide of a pendulum that's swinging mm -hmm. the other way where it's like, yes, now, like you said, let's get excited to use right. those tools. And that's, that's a problem for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think people are kind of reacting to that. But the thing that must be admitted is that the Bible gives us a category for speaking like this. Mm -hmm. And if... If you're not willing to do that, I, I remember when I first started looking into this because I was, you know, I came to, I got the, got the, uh, caught the Doug bug and I was looking at his stuff. And then uh, I, I listened to his talk, uh, how, what was it? How Jesus picked fights. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and he started talking about the ways that Jesus gets sarcastic and the ways that Jesus does this or does that. And I remember, uh, you know, even thinking to myself, yeah, but you're not Jesus. You know, like mm -hmm. he flipped tables, he made a quart of whips, and he made fun of the Pharisees' clothes and did all these kind of things. And the he said the response that he gets is what I was thinking, yeah, but you're not Jesus. And then I remember what he said. It just stuck with me so much. He's like, well, thank you. You've just given me an out to not try to obey and be so, like Jesus in anything. Ephesians 5, I don't have to love my wife like Christ because I'm not Christ. I'm not Jesus. Right. I can't do it perfectly. You're saying, if I can't do it perfectly and I might mess up and I might not do it right, then I should just avoid it altogether. Mm -hmm. And that's wrong. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to say there, there is, Scripture lays out the principle that there is a place for this kind of language. Mm -hmm. And we need to pair it with all these other passages to do it with wisdom, to do it with discernment, to do it very carefully, to not let it be filthy, unrighteous, all the yeah. rest of the things. But we've, we can't just leave it. Mm -hmm. Not if the Bible doesn't. Right. And it doesn't, you know. So yeah, I think that covers that question. Sure. Always yeah. more can be said, but that's that's enough. Do you want do you want to do you have any other last final thoughts on that? I don't think so. I think you, okay. think you did a good job. Okay, well, then that does it for our Ask Pastor Brooks episode <laughs> of uh, the Reformation Red Pill podcast. For you viewers, now we got multiple viewers. It's so exciting. Yeah, so for those of you following along, our charge for you is that you would build, defend, and expand the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you do it with a happy heart as a happy place. Amen. Come on.